I got some buddies they always make fun of me because I have a chart or an Excel sheet or a spreadsheet for literally everything that we do. And the simple explanation for that, it was born out of necessity. When I first started coaching, Max, I didn't have any help. We didn't have any assistant coaches my first year of college. I literally had a senior outfielder running our outfield drills because I didn't have another coach, right? And we didn't have any managers. So I had to make these things franchisable, so to speak. So, hey, hey, Max, here, you run the outfield drills today during team during a positional defense. So here's the series, you know, here's the maroon series. Here's the gold series. All right, we're going to do one through seven today. You got four minutes to drill. Go run the drill. And so that has kind of followed me because as a young coach, I, I had to I had to do everything myself. And so I had to create this very meticulous, detailed system. You want to make this the best experience that you can for your players because a lot of times – most of them, this is the last time they're ever going to play. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the High School Coaches Club. I'm your host, Max Price. These next two episodes are an exciting back-to-back experience. Here in episode 90, Chuck Box will dive in to give all of us a huge collection of ideas that we can like literally implement into our programs probably tomorrow. Uh, and then next time in episode 91... His better half, Amanda Box, joins the show to conduct a deep dive into probably the most important aspect of coaching, and that's communication. Should be a lot of fun. Thanks for joining me. And a huge thank you to Will Miner and the gang over at Netting Pros. They have powered the High School Coaches Club literally for years now. If you need any facility improvements, make them your first call. They'll be your only call. Not only will they help you design it, but they'll do it all custom just for you. From the fabrication to the installation, they've got you covered for netting, digital graphic wall padding, turf, turf protectors, cubbies, windscreen, ball carts, you name it. They crush the baseball and softball world on a daily basis, but they also get after in football, soccer, lacrosse, track and field golf courses, and just about any sport you can imagine. I even saw recently they'll do like walkways. They'll do covered walkways for you in nets. If it involves a net or a sport, they'll find a way. They are truly making facilities better all across America, providing high quality products and services for facilities, fields, courses, and stadiums throughout the country, not only at the high school level, but for recreational, collegiate, and professional sports as well. You can contact them today by calling 844-620-2707, emailing info at nettingpros.com, visiting their website, nettingpros.com, or by checking them out on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. Netting Pros, they're proving and programs one facility at a time. In this episode, I'm joined by Chuck Box. Many of you already know him because he is one of the best sharers of resources on Twitter of any coach I know. He served at the college baseball level from 1989 to 2006 before becoming the head baseball coach at Jackson Prep and later in 2017, the head coach at Hartfield Academy. Then in 2021, he made his return to the college ranks as the director of player and program development for the Texas A&M baseball program, where he's now entering season number three. If you do nothing else today, hop on Twitter or X, follow him and read through all of his tweets over the past few years. You will instantly be a better coach. I think this conversation will help too. So let's do it. Let's dive in. It's episode 90 with Chuck Box. All right, Chuck Box. Thank you so much for doing this. Max, I appreciate it, man. It's a pleasure to be here. 
Yeah, I bet. you know, we were talking off air and, and, you know, you've done a lot of podcasts over time. And, um, you know, the my, my hope with this one is it's it's for all coaches of all high school sports. And so uh, we'll get into baseball. It'll be geared towards baseball. But I think one of the cool things about it that people might get out of it is some things that transfer really easily to other sports. If, if you just kind of take that one second to kind of apply them and see, you know, how might this work for me? Sure, sure. Well, you know, whenever I have an opportunity to speak, present, uh, talk to a group of people, especially coaches, I always want to give them something they can use the next day. That's that's how I begin every talk is, hey, if, if you're a, a junior high soccer coach or a seventh grade baseball coach, I, I want to be able to give them something they can use with the resources they have, because everybody has different staff limitations, different budgets different facilities. And so my goal is to always try to share things that anybody can use uh, wherever they are. So, so hopefully we can do that today and have a little fun in the process. You just went on a, a little bit of a big trip, didn't you? I did, man. Oh goodness. Yeah. We, we, uh, you know, I think it's really important and I've said this publicly, but I think it's really important for you to get away, um, and to, and to re-energize. So, my wife and I have been married 33 years, and we have uh, two children, 26, 24, and a 12-year-old, and same wife, same marriage, the 12-year-old. Um, <laughs> we have to make, clarify that, but uh, she was <laughs> a couple of years ago. But um, we've always taken family vacations, and we usually try to do something right before school starts in the summer, and, and then we do something again. Um, it's been a ski trip, actually, the last few years, the last six or seven years. and But we were able to slip away to – Yellowstone and, and Jackson Hole, the Tetons, Bozeman, just kind of get out there and re-energize a, a little bit. And we're back and ready to get back in the uh, the routine and the flow of, of the season. Well, yeah, people are going to probably look at this and, you know, a lot of obviously pretty much everyone who listens to this, you know, podcast, we're all high school coaches. So they're going to see this. And you're like, Texas A&M, how does this apply to me? And it's like, you'll, you're going to see in just a minute. But uh, what I really want to do is, is go I, this isn't an old joke or anything like that, but go way back to your own high school experience. Uh, where'd you grow up? Where'd you play high school? And, and what sports were you into? What was that experience like for you? Well, I grew up in Columbus, Mississippi, a small town, about 25,000 people. And Max, I really had a, a fairy tale life. Um, you know, I hear people tell these stories about how tough it was growing up. And I'm almost embarrassed because I had an awesome mother, an awesome father. Um, I had great people in my life that invested in me from coaches to people at church and just just a great way to grow up. You know, I, my daughter, my 24 year old laughs at me. She she thinks my life was kind of like one of those country music videos when everybody's <laughs> at the field and the music's playing and the mm -hmm. trucks are around the bonfire. And she kind of makes fun of me. But um, it wasn't that far off, quite frankly. <laughs> but, uh, I When I got into high school, um, I really had some great coaches, uh, Sammy Fletcher, David Nelson, Fred Yates. They were men that just really poured into me, great integrity, great character. And um, I played I played all three sports until 10th grade. And then I was just a football and baseball player. And I love to tell people if I would have been 6'4 and had a little uh, better athleticism, you never would have heard of Troy Aikman. Um, that, that's always <laughs> kind of been my joke, you know. But I was just a kid who played hard, not super talented. Um, but Sammy Fletcher probably had such a huge impact on me wanting to go into coaching. And that with the fact, coupled with the fact that Ron Polk was at Mississippi State and, and he mm -hmm. was really trans, you know, just really transforming baseball and, and the SEC as we know it. And also, I think Boo Ferris, who was 
the baseball coach at Delta State at the time really had an impact on high school baseball. And I made up my mind I wanted to be a high school baseball coach. And that was 1986-ish. I graduated from high school in 1987. So all the way back to then, I really knew I wanted to coach. But when I went to college, I started off in finance. And I tell everybody I wanted to wear Armani suits and drive a Ferrari. Mm. And then I, I got to uh, my freshman year of college, and I realized I wasn't very good at math. So um, yeah. I, I decided to pursue a <laughs> career coaching, and I've never looked back. I'm guessing you still haven't found that Ferrari money sitting around in your head. Never found you? the Ferrari money. I do drive an O2 <laughs> Jeep that I really like. Um, but yeah, I just, I think I just had so many people that had such a positive impact on me, and um, I wanted to stay in sports, and baseball just made sense to me. And Got a couple of breaks along the way that, that put me in position to have some success and to keep moving a little bit. And um, like I said, I've been, I've been doing that. I think this is year 31 for me. So I've been at it for a while. Well, you said 1986. You're, you're a junior in high school. At the time, you, you kind of know that you want to coach baseball. Um, obviously, eventually you get into it. Uh, and then now you're at Texas A&M. And so we're kind of fast forwarding really far. Uh, but just for people listening who might not know about your time at Hartfield and then that transition to Texas A&M, you give like the, you know, from like a thousand feet above kind of the overview of that for you. Yeah, I was I was a, a college baseball coach first. I, uh, you know, mm-hmm. I actually, I mean, I was at Mississippi College in '92 as a GA, and went back to Freed Hardeman as an assistant in '93, and then I became a college head coach at the age of 24. Crazy! I didn't know what I was doing either. I just had a lot of energy and worked really hard. But I wish I could go back and have some of those years back with some of those guys. I would have done some things differently. But I was there at Freed Hardeman for five years. I left to, to go to junior college in Mississippi, Etiwama Community College, was there for a couple of years, and I actually went back to, to Freed Hardeman a second time, was there for two years and ended up getting out of coaching, Max. I was an assistant athletic director for development. I raised money for two years, and it was about the time the economy went south for the first time, and fundraising was difficult, but and I was, to be honest with you, I was miserable because at the end of the day, I'm a coach. And, mm-hmm. but I learned a lot. That was a, you know, that's what I always tell young coaches is, you know, be where your feet are because without those two years, there were so many things that I never would have learned. I, I really learned how colleges and universities work. I learned that I don't always know the answer, but the, uh, the question, but the answer is always money. <laughs> I learned how important <laughs> money was and being able to raise money and generate revenue. And, uh, but when I decided I wanted to go back into coaching, I had two young children. And I said, man, you know what? I want to go be a high school coach. And I think I wrote 45 schools all across the country, top tier programs. And uh, Jackson Prep was available. And so I took that job and I was there for 11 years and I actually got out of coaching again, believe it or not. Um, was going to try my hand at travel baseball. And um, I did not enjoy that. It's, it's like the wild, wild west. Um, and so that's when I transitioned to Hartfield. So before I came to Texas A&M, I was a high school baseball coach for 15 years. And, and quite frankly, Hartfield was one of the best jobs I ever had. I absolutely loved it. Um, I needed Hartfield more than it needed me. It really helped me grow in a lot of areas of my life where, that I needed to grow in. And quite frankly, Max, I could have been a high school coach for the rest of my life because I really enjoyed it. I love, I love being a high school coach and I have tremendous respect for high school coaches and uh, if it, if I hadn't had an opportunity to go coach in the best division and the best conference in baseball for one of the best college baseball coaches in the history of the game, 
I probably would still be there. Uh, but this opportunity was just too good to turn down. And it's just been an awesome move. Been here for two years and I, I love every minute of it. I'm going to actually, you, you were gracious enough to kind of send along your, your career like year by year. And I'm going to toss in the show notes because I think it's cool for coaches to see. Like, I think a lot of us, I don't, when you're, when we're young, I think we tend to think of like, okay, here's like the process. I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to be an assistant coach. Then I'll be a head coach. Then maybe I'll be an AD. Uh, maybe I'll, maybe I'll get into college. Maybe I'll become a college head coach. And that's kind of the, the process and the way things play out. And I, I love yours because it's like, assistant coach then all of a sudden you're like a head coach at college at age 24 yeah. and it's like ah, i went away from that for a while then I, then I went to high school and then i and then from high school you know i, I tried this other thing out with child then i went back to high school and then from there i was an assistant ad and then and then all of a sudden i'm at texas a&m so i think a lot of people think oh he's at texas a&m so he must have taken a very prescribed like here's the path that he went through to get there and it's it's so not it's so not the reality well, success, you know, I love the, the graph that we've all seen and success. And I'm not saying what I've done is success necessarily, but sure. I think it's very similar. It's not linear. Um, you know, it, it's all over the place. And that's how most of our careers look. But the other thing for me, and I think this is an important lesson, like I've never really and I don't mean this disrespectful to anywhere that I've been, but I've never really cared about the level that I've coached. Um, as I've gotten older, I maybe maybe early in my career, I did. I chased that 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 Power Five Division One. You know, you, you everybody wants to do that. And as I got a little older, I realized that um, your definition of a good job changes. And I wanted to be somewhere where I had a great quality of life, where I worked with wonderful people. I wanted to be somewhere where I have a chance to win the last game that I coach in. But I've never been real in the the level that I could. I was at a little small private school and and. Jackson, Mississippi had chances to take 6A public school jobs, and I was happy where I was. So I, th I think that's part of my journey, too, is that I never really cared a whole lot about the level where I was. I was more concerned about the people and the, and, and the environment. As I've gotten older, that's even more important to me now is, is the people that I'm working with on a daily basis. And that's one of the reasons I'm here, because I get to work with just amazing people our coaching staff and really just Aggies in general. They're just, they're incredible people and their uh, quality of life here is outstanding. What does the director of player and program development do? That is a great question. I think it's different everywhere. I know at, at Texas A&M, what coach Sosnagel's asked me to do and is, is pretty general. I'm, I try to carry out our mission statement and that is to help each and every player in our organization to become the, very best selfless version of themselves in every area of their life. So I, I try to do that with our players. I try to do that with our coaching staff. I try to do that with our support staff, uh, really by upholding our core covenants and helping coach um, police the culture. I mean, that's my 36,000 mm -hmm. foot job. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a cheerleader, so to speak, in a lot of areas. Uh, I try to take care of coach the best I can and and help him anywhere that he needs to be helped. But then I have some specific responsibilities here as well. Um, I'm the liaison to a, a lot of different areas of our program, academics, facilities, NIL, nutrition, um, along with uh, several others. And then the other thing that I try to do is I try to watch the program like a 27-year head coach and tell Coach Slicenegel what I see and to try to uh, see around the corner for him on things too, and just help him any way that I can. So it's an interesting job. It changes every day. 
um, which which I like. I think I draw on my head coaching experience a lot in this position. But you know, at the end of the day, what I'm trying to do is just help um, everyone be the best they can be by, by creating an environment so that every player has an opportunity to be successful. That's really what my job is. If you just boil it down to the simplest form. And I, one of the things I think a lot of, so a lot of us got to know you and we kind of talked a little bit off air with this when you were at Hartfield, um, as, as a high school head coach. And it was, um, it especially came along during like COVID times when podcasts were extremely popular. We didn't have anything else to do, but mow our fields all alone and listen to podcasts. And, um, you obviously have always shared really openly, you know, on Twitter. And one of the things that I really have, I always respected you, but I think I've really, it really amplified a lot since you became the director of player and program development at Texas A&M because you didn't, you didn't just go into that role and then just focus on that. Like you still almost weekly for a while and, and still every once in a while, you'll share like these amazing resources. And it's just like, even just like a handout from your time at Hartfield. Hey, here's what I, here's what I gave to our, our, like our parents at the start of the year, here's a handout we used. Uh, here's like a, an example of like our game day info, like your game day info thing I stole a few years ago and I make it, I put one out every, every, every baseball game. Cause it's really simple. It's just an easy template. Like, so you've, you've just continued to share so much to help high school coaches. Um, whereas it would have been really easy for you to go into this role and be like, this is all I do now. And at the, you know, the past is kind of behind me, but you've continued to kind of help, help out guys that I think, really benefit from having your expertise because you've, you've done it for a long time. Well, Max, that, thank you for that. I appreciate that. I appreciate you recognizing that part of my job here. One of the things on my job description is a high school coach liaison. Um, so I take that very seriously, but, but past that, there's really a story behind that, Max, during, during COVID. Um, I was always a coach that I just coached my team. Um, I showed up every day. I, I wasn't, I was cordial to other coaches, but I wasn't the guy that was going to go play golf with all the coaches and uh, your opposing coaches. I didn't spend a lot of time before the game talking and and it wasn't malicious. It was just, I was coaching my team. I was concerned about my team. I wasn't, I've never been a coach that's been real concerned about what the other team does. And Mm -hmm. my wife, Amanda, who is amazing. um, She's a communication uh, evangelist is what she calls herself, but she owns a business, a communication business. And, she kind of challenged me, Max. She said, you have a lot to offer. And and also I, I was at kind of a, man, what do I have that n- nobody wants to hear what I have to say? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to be in my little bubble. And she said, you know, you had people who helped you and mentored you. You need to do it. She kind of fussed at me, to be honest with you, Max. She said, you need to do a better job of reaching out and helping these young guys. You need to be a better mentor to the, to the younger coaches. And so, I really took that to heart and really started trying to to share stuff that I think people would want, things that have helped me. And I'll tell you the real turning point for us, my 72-year-old pitching coach at the time, Doug Shanks, said, Hey, you need to have a, a podcast. You need to do a you need to do a an event where you invite coaches on. And I said, Doug, nobody, nobody's gonna show up for that. <laughs> and so we publicized it a little bit. And we go on and we had 150 coaches on this deal. And I it, I was I was shocked. And I think, Max, we were going to go an hour, right? And I had my whole coaching staff on there. And I don't know if you were on that one. It was, I think it was during COVID. And about three hours in, we still had like 35 people. And I told them, I said, hey, guys, I'll, I'll, uh, 
I'll stay here all night. So we, I think I opened up my computer and we started talking and I started asking guys questions. And I, and I realized, you know, that the people really um, appreciate a guy who's been doing it for a long time and has something to share. So I've tried to do a better job of um, sharing things that I think will help high school coaches be successful. And hopefully we can continue doing that. I think uh, it reminds me of Butch Chaffin because he he told me one time something like I'll but you know <laughs> butcher the quote, uh, but I it was something along the lines of like you know if I can he's like I'm old basically I I've seen a lot of things I've done a lot of stupid things I made a lot of dumb mistakes if I can share stuff and it speeds up the maturation process of a younger coach like that's awesome and I'm gonna do it so I think as I think as coaches like you were saying you weren't really sure that you had anything of value to offer people. I think that's part of it is just that like I've done this for a long time. I've seen some things. I've seen some stuff that doesn't work. And, and through that and through conversations, like someone's going to get something from me that's going to be usable. And that's true for someone who's even been coaching for like, you know, three years. They have something really valuable to offer. And they're, of course, they're not going to think they do, but they do. Well, 100 percent. And, you know, one of the one of the challenges for me was um, you, I've always been a guy who at times it's come across as, as being self-serving or, or um, tooting your own horn or whatever you want to call it. But I, I've never looked at it like that. I've always looked like at it, if I'm selling my, I'm, if I'm selling me, I'm selling my program and I've never separated those two things. So I think part of being able to step out and share is the overcoming the fear of someone thinking that you're arrogant or, or cocky or, and, and I still get a little bit of that on Twitter sometimes. I mean, Twitter is a beautiful mess as we all know. And oh, yeah. I don't, take much of it very seriously. And, um, you know, I profess to the, if I wouldn't ask you for your, um, advice, I'm not going to pay attention to your opinion is this mm -hmm. kind of the way I look at it. But I think I had to get over a little bit of that too, is I don't want to come across with somebody. Um, at one time in my life, I was a know-it-all and I think I've changed a lot and I don't ever want to be that person again. So I think that's a little bit of the fear of putting yourself out there and sharing stuff and, um, but again, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, I really am sincerely trying to help guys and, and hopefully we have. And um, at the same time, Max, I really enjoy doing it. It's something that I really think eventually in my career, I, I really want to want to kind of be a consultant and maybe try to monetize some of it. And I think that's something that, that I would love to do, helping, helping coach coaches. I really enjoy coaching coaches. That's what my uh, my old high school head coach always said that, you know, his dream job for when he finished coaching someday would be to kind of like, I'll come to your practice, um, you pay me whatever, I'll come to your practice, I'll watch, I'll come to your games, I'll watch, and I'll then kind of give you some ideas and some advice and some things. And it's like the, you know, the world of the online world has kind of sped that process up a ton where you can open that up to lots of people and um, you don't have to like go to their stuff anymore. You can just kind of post a lot of your stuff. And, you know, we talked about earlier, you know, some of the things you put up on Twitter and I'm, I'm like looking at one of them right now. And it's kind of the, I don't even know what you'd call it. It's like a congratulations. You, you, you're, you made the team, your kid made the team. Here's a, a sheet for the parent. And it's got like, info of like here's what i need from you i need your name your player's t-shirt size the size their shorts their cap size like here's some upcoming parent meetings we're gonna have dates times it's like it's very organized and the part for me that jumps out is like then you get down like halfway through the page and it's like okay here's the stuff we need this year we need a hack tech here's how much it costs graphics it's, you got like a list of here's the things we want to fundraise for it's very clear it's very outlined like as a parent if i'm getting this i feel like okay this, this guy's organized. He knows what he needs for his program. I feel very comfortable having my kid with him. 
Yeah, that 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 document really is interesting because it, it 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 was born out of necessity, as many things are. Um, my first year at Hartfield, I took the job, and we had created a pretty cool culture at prep. And I'll never forget we had a game, we had something in December, but we had two or three kids that were going to miss it because they were going on a trip to Disney. And then there was another question that came up about spring break. We were playing baseball over spring break, but some kids had scheduled a trip. So I said, okay, um, for this won't happen again. So when we sent that out, we spelled out every possible scenario. Hey, the season starts on this date. It ends on this date. Um, things that as a coach, I probably took for granted because I just assumed everybody would play every game and play till mm. the last game. <laughs> That's a pretty yeah, safe assumption. Right? <laughs> um, you know, I, I, so we started spelling it out. And then the other thing I did, this is really cool. So I had two or three moms um, who I really trusted and they would be very honest with me. One of them was one of our teachers there at Hartfield. I would give it to her every year and I'd say, Danielle, mom proof this for me. And she would laugh. And, and then she would say, hey, you forgot to tell them about transportation. Oh, dadgummit. You forgot mm-hmm. to tell them that uh, water is going to be provided in the dugout. Little things that I would miss, but a mom would never miss. So every year I circulated that to three or four mothers and, and they, uh, they would add things or say, hey, coach, you need to be more clear about this. And then we would send it out every year. So uh, that was a great little communication piece. The, the wish list is something that again, was kind of born out of necessity. Um, my first year there, they say, hey, man, you can raise you can raise money. So don't tell me I can raise money. So I went and raised a ton of money. And then the second year, they kind of changed the game on me a little bit. And so I couldn't go out and quote unquote, raise the money the way we had. But I but I kind of slipped that in there with a the wish list. That was mm-hmm. kind of uh, kind of getting around the system a little bit, to be honest with you, Max. And um, it worked. And so, you know, because in, in, in all seriousness, I always, always have people say, how can we help the program? And, you know, we're always scared of that as coaches a little bit because we yeah. always think someone has an agenda. Hey, Max, they have an agenda. Every mm-hmm. parent has an agenda. My dad had an agenda. He wanted to help put together the best high school baseball program that we could have. And of course, parents want their kids to play. Um, and it's always about playing time. Max, when a parent says it's not about playing time. It, that's a lie. It's always about playing time. So I, I think if you can kind of get that out in the open and say, Hey, look, I know you're the player's agent. You're, you're the mother. You're not, you're not going to be objective. That's okay. We can still make this thing work, but every parent wants to help the program. So I started putting those things out and it was amazing. Max, what would happen? Um, usually within two or three days, I would have every one of them. And it was stuff like, I need a refrigerator. I had a guy call me, hey, coach, my son's in junior high, and I work for Gatorade. Um, I've got two of them sitting over here. You want them? Yeah. Um, hey, coach, we have a hack attack sitting on the back porch. It's been there for a year. My wife's been trying to get me to get rid of it. You want me to bring it up there? Yeah, of course. And so, you know, it's just really giving people a chance to help. And then the other two things I would put on there is if you can't buy something, uh, help us with a gift in kind like the refrigerator. Or we had a guy who uh, – had a connection with Lowe's that could get us material. And then the other one I always put on there is, hey, man, if you can swing a hammer um, or, or dig a trench, come help us because we always had a project going on. So I wanted to find a way where everyone could help regardless of their their economic situation because um, we had some people that didn't have the means to do it, but I still wanted to give them. And, and, and honestly, two of the best guys that I had 
uh, at Hartfield Academy. Um, one of them in particular, Joey, Joey Boyd, who's still one of my guys, man, he, he, that guy worked on more projects for me than you could ever imagine. He was always, he loved to build stuff, loved to do stuff. And so, um, he was always helping with projects. So we just tried to make it to where everyone could, could help contribute to the success of the program and the growth of the program. We had a, there, there was a coach that coached out here for a long time. And then he ended up moving away to Idaho and a few summer or a few uh, spring breaks ago, we were playing a, a tournament over in Idaho and uh, we end up, there's like a snow day or something. So I call him up. He let us come hit in his facility and we're in there hitting and, and I'm talking to him. His name is Brian Champion. He's at Centennial High School in, in Idaho and in Boise. And uh, we're in this hitting facility. And he's like, it was, I was kind of asking him about it because they had just gotten it built. And he goes, yeah, you know, originally we were just building a pole barn. No walls, just something covered with a roof on it. And he goes, as soon as we start building it, we had people that would just show up. And they'd be like, hey, can I help you put walls on this thing? Go, well, of course. And then they're putting walls in. And then, you know, another parent would come through and be like, hey, man, I my, my brother, you know, has an insulation company. Can we come insulate it so it stays warm? Sure, man, absolutely. Let's do it. And another guy's an electrician. He goes, can I put lights in for you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and so yeah. it's kind of like just like. When you when you start putting stuff together, uh, people want to they want to be a part of it. And like you're saying, it it might be something financial, but and you did on this little sheet that says number three, provide labor. There's an opportunity for you to get involved where it doesn't necessarily cost you anything. But if you've got the ability, like you said, to swing a hammer, like we're gonna find a way for that to be something helpful and useful for us. Because uh, you know, as a baseball coach, there's always oh my gosh, there's always something you need to get done, and there's always something we need to buy. Well, and I think I think too the message I would give to to all coaches is always have a wish list. Um, I'll never forget I had a situation where I had someone approach me with a large amount of money, and I didn't have a plan, and I mm. swore that would never happen again. So I always had I basically in my mind I had it in three different tiers. I had stuff that wasn't very expensive that was easy to get. Then I had the uh, kind of mid range stuff like maybe a hack attack, and then I always had big ticket items like a locker room or turfing our field. And I just tried to keep those out there in front of people. And, and, and when you had someone that approached you about a large gift or wanting to help, you didn't have to take two or three months to, to put it together. I'll tell you something else I saw. It might've been you. I can't remember who did this. An amazing, the Amazon wish list. Oh, yeah. thing. Was, was that you, Max? Yeah. Well, that, that came that out of the same the, thing. The best ideas I've ever seen. Like, like why have I never done that before? And, what a, you know, you might want to explain that to the audience, but I, I, that's one of the better things that I've ever seen. And the stuff that you got was incredible off of that. It was insane. Well, we had a we had a parent meeting. So it was, the, it was like our was like, you know, the, the parent meeting right before our like official season starts. And uh, I end up we end up at near the end of the meeting, we break up into groups based on teams so that, you know, families can kind of talk with their individual head coaches of each team. And so I'm there with the varsity parents. One of the moms goes, Hey, you know, do you have like a, do you have a wish list somewhere like of what you want? And I'm like, I don't really, you know, I don't know. <laughs> like, like you, like that time you mentioned, yeah. like not having, yeah. and I'm like, uh, I, was, I was like, no, but I'll tell you what, I'll email one to you tonight. And so that night I, I get home and I'm like, I got to make some sort of wish list. And I'm like, I've heard of an Amazon wish list. That seems easy. So I jump on Amazon and it is, you just make a list of items You and it, you, you can add in a shipping address, you know, you just put the school in there and then you just share the link and people can buy whatever they want. And so in the first year, I just put like five things on there. We got like a lawnmower and a couple other things, nothing too crazy. And then this past year, we really went nuts on it. And we, I mean, I filled it up with 
uh, hundreds of things. And then when the season started, when our guys wanted snacks, I'm like, well, let's put snacks on there too. So we loaded it with snacks. And so every day, our the poor poor gals in our office at school were getting like three or four Amazon boxes a day for our baseball program filled with, you know, tees, helmets, like baseball stuff. But then also, like, uh, we even got, because uh, we're installing some turf in our bullpen, we even had people buy us... Um, like uh, landscaping fabric to like prevent weeds and stuff. Like we have just, and then on top of that, snacks showing up. And so the the Amazon wish list it takes no time to set up, and it it's one of the best things I think we've ever done in our program. And it it's just it makes it so easy. Didn't your principal buy some notebooks or something too? I thought that <laughs> yeah, was we cool. wanted uh, we put on yeah. there like little like you know like three inch notebooks to use for like yeah. games and practices and stuff. Yeah. And our principal ends up buying all of them. She bought like I don't know sixty notebooks for our program. It, it was really cool. Well, I'm sitting there one night, you know, I, I try to follow people that um, I, can help me grow. And you're, you're obviously one of those guys. I've, I've always enjoyed the stuff you put out. And I saw that and I, I looked at my wife. We were sitting there and I said, this is one of the coolest things. This is one of the best things I've ever seen. And she kind of looked at me like all of us have had to look from her wife and be like, yeah, Chuck, teachers <laughs> have been doing this for like, they have. <laughs> I guess I should pay more attention to the the uh, teacher in service things because they probably went over that. When I was in in service, but anyway, what what an amazing idea! But I think the the overall arching concept of this is, I think we as coaches, and I've noticed my wife's business has grown in this area too. We have done a very poor job of communicating with parents. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just been easier to keep them at arm's length. And I, I think at one time, I don't think that was ever an effective strategy, uh, but it was one that was more acceptable. I think in the world that we live in now with the transparency, um, parents um, not only expect, I think they demand a higher level of communication. So what I've tried to do is the same thing I've tried to do in my life always is if there's something that I can't overcome, then I, then I marry it. Then I make it a part of who, who, who we are. And a great example, that's the prom. I think baseball coaches have always battled with the prom, you know, hmm. and I've, I've seen coaches put their foot down we're going to play a game on the prom. And that's always a battle you're going to lose, man. Yeah. Like, so I married the prom. I was like, okay, this is going to be a cool thing. So we're going to, we're not going to play on the day of the prom. We're going to have a, a senior day where they can come to practice early in the day. And we made it kind of a cool thing. And, I think that's uh, the direct route I've taken with parent communication as it relates to high school is um, Adam Mosley, one of the best mm-hmm. baseball coaches in America at Hoover, uh, talks about um, winning the dining room table conversation. I know Eric Borba, Borba at OLU has done some cool stuff in regards to parents, but just trying to create a better dialogue and, and do a better job. And I, I think I was getting there in my last couple of years as a high school coach to, to bring parents into the, the equation more and to communicate more with them. And one of the things that we did that I found very effective is I quit having a parent meeting. I quit having a big parent meeting. And so what we would do is we would meet, we had tryouts this time of the year. Matter of fact, it was this past weekend is when it would have been. Mm. And then whenever school starts the second week of school in the mornings, um, I had someone, a uh, local insurance agent there. My, my insurance guy, Dean Nagerville, would buy Chick-fil-A and coffee. And then I would have the freshman class in, the sophomore class in, and junior class, senior class. We would have four different meetings. And we would have a very intimate meeting. They could see me as a husband, as a father. Um, I had a PowerPoint. We ate breakfast. And 
every presentation was a little bit different because the person that's been in your program for four years doesn't need to hear the mm-hmm. same thing every year, you know? So we, we try to tailor make it a little bit to each class. Um, it was a little more of a personal communication. We had difficult conversations. We talked about playing time, how we're going to handle things. I told them the story about my daughter getting cut as a cheerleader, um, how I handled that, how I expect them to handle it. And I was very realistic and, I, I think that helped a lot because I think that that more um, intimate type of conversation helped. And so we never had a big parent meeting again. Now we would have like a day maybe when we had a spring scrimmage or something where we might do a little cookout or something like that to get the whole group together with the families. And maybe there's a couple of things you need to cover. Um, but I think that I found that to be super efficient by meeting in smaller groups and tailoring your message a little bit more to each, each class instead of just getting up there and having that same old drawn out parent meeting that we've all had to sit through or have led over the years. And I found that to be much more effective. So when your daughter got cut from cheer, I assume you wrote some really angry emails to the, to the cheer. Well, coach. we were, I have to admit this. I loved our cheerleader sponsor at prep. She was awesome. And I, we really didn't want our daughter to be a cheerleader. We were probably only, the only parents in America that didn't want their daughter to be a cheerleader. We just were kind of pulling against it. Um, so when she didn't make it, we were secretly very happy. <laughs> so you wrote a very kind email. <laughs> a very kind email. And, uh, and I had to, had to hide my um, excitement from my daughter. She's 24 years old now and she, she turned out fine. She's doing great, but yeah, it, it, we, we were a little bit, we, we parented a little bit differently maybe than some of the, the our peers did, but you know, at the end of the day, um, and I say this all the time and I don't, I don't think people hear this, but the worst coach I know, Max, if I think of like the guy who I have been around, who mm. is the worst coach in America, I'm talking about the kid that the, the guy that you do really don't want your kid to play for. Even that guy didn't get in this business to hurt kids. Right. <laughs> It's true. I don't know. I don't know one coach that did, and and you know the the playing time thing is 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 really what I'm referring to. I also there's politics that are in play, obviously, and then people people have said I was a politician, and my answer was always, well, if putting the best nine guys on the field that help us be the most successful that day is a politician, I'm Bill Clinton, buddy. Yeah, you, you, right. You better believe I am. But now we may disagree with who's on the field, but. I think even the worst people in our profession aren't there to hurt kids. And right now in our profession, we need high school coaches now more than we ever have. Like I'm convinced, man, this is a pivotal time in our world. And I think high school coaches are so, so important. And I hate to see anything that doesn't encourage or help high school coaches. And we, we've seen it with one of our own uh, this past mm-hmm. cycle with Butch and what happened at, right. at Cooper. And, um, I, you know, I know a little bit more about that situation than, than probably a lot of people do. And, um, you know, if a guy like Butch um, is being treated the way he was treated, he's the best we have to offer, man. Like that guy is the greatest. Like there's never – his baseball mind is insane. The, 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 his baseball acumen is as good as anybody I've ever been around. You couple that with the type of person that he is, a man of, of faith, and character, and integrity. And so 
if stuff like that's happening to people like Butch, then, you know, what are we doing? And I, I'm also, I'm also, I don't want to go soapbox here, but I, I also think kids are as good as they've ever been. I hate it when people say, oh, kids today, these kids are awesome. We're coaching some of the best kids we've ever coached. The world that they grew up in is so much different, Max. I mean, a kid today, we just got through with camp, a camp cycle, and I think I did 20 mental game talks in our camps. Mm. And, you know, one of the things I told the boys in there is that you guys have to make more decisions in one day than, than I probably made in two <laughs> months. No kidding. Because of the information. And so we need leaders. We need high school coaches more now than ever. And um, when we're not doing everything that we can to help high school coaches, and what are we doing? And I'm really talking to administrators. Now, here's a great example. This was a conversation that I had a lot with our people at Hartfield. And our administration is awesome. They're some of the best. I mean, Jim DeLauder, Dave Horner, two of the the best administrators you've ever worked for. But you think about coaches and I mean, we had coaches that were coaching two sports. They were teaching five classes. They had every duty imaginable to man. You know, it never made sense to me why the guys who were there the latest had to be there the earliest. That's never made sense to me as a coach, but we also want them to be good husbands and good fathers. And my question a lot of times to administrators is how do you expect them to do that? Like, and they still have to win and they still have to be good in the classroom. We're just, we put a lot on coaches sometimes and I don't think it's fair. And um, I'm off on a little bit of a rant, but hopefully there's an administrator listening to this that'll, you know, if you want to keep good people in this business, give them reasons to to stay in this business is, is kind of what I'm saying. So thank you for letting me uh, vent a little bit on that, but we'll get back on topic. Sorry. <laughs> well, no, I think you're on. I think the, I think the hard part, like, so I, you know, my kids four, I mentioned earlier and uh, I think it was off air, but that's okay. Uh, people know. Uh, so my kids four and uh, it's, it's it's hard it's a lot of time uh for to to be able to be a good coach you know if i want to be really good and i do it's a huge time commitment obviously both and it's not just in season obviously it's like year round it never ends there's never my wife kind of jokes like there like august is my month off basically and even then it's like only partially and um you know right when football season starts we do big fundraisers during football games for the baseball program like it just never ends it keeps going forever and ever and I've known and do know a lot of coaches that are fantastic and they'd be so good and were so good for kids who end up hanging it up because they, there's just no time. Like they have to, it's, it's like they almost at some point had to make a choice between being a good dad and being a, being a good coach. And I wish it, I wish it wasn't that way for so many people because you end up losing such good human beings or even a good a good mom and a good coach like you should be able to do both and it just it's so hard and so time consuming well i think where people fail to really get it is i've always thought of the the field as a classroom um i've always mm-hmm. thought of myself as a as a teacher especially as i've gotten older and i think that i think we kind of lose sight of that sometimes and and you know i was working with 54 kids at Hartfield and I had a chance to impact 54 kids. And I think Billy Graham said at one time that the, the old, the great Baptist minister that uh, a coach in, uh, impacts more people in a lifetime than anyone. And that that's scary at the same time too, because we have a, an amazing responsibility, but I just want to do everything that I can to try to keep the good guys in this business, man. And I just think there's so much value to a coach and how they impact the, 
school and the community and especially a good one. And so, you know, my thing is if we, whatever we have to do to keep good coaches in this business, I just think it's, it's critical for us to, to recognize that and to, to do everything that we can to keep those guys in it, man. I just, I, I think we're at a pivotal point in, 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 in our country in terms of some of those things. And I'm very, very adamant, very passionate about that. I think, uh, I, I can't remember. Oh my gosh. What's the name? I can't remember the name of the, pre- I, I literally just saw, I think it was this morning or maybe last night, but it was talking about, um, there's just a guy talking like on a podcast or something. And he was talking about, um, they, they did this study where they asked parents, when your kid is 18, what do you want him to be like? Or what do you want her to be like? And not one person wrote, you know, said anything about, you know, being good at math or like being really good at writing or it was all like character stuff and like all the stuff, everything that the guy was saying was all stuff that I think um, you build more so on a field or on a court or in a gym or whatever um, than you would ever do in a classroom. And I think it's, it just, we're in a place in society where, like you said, we're kind of at a pivotal point where I think I, th- I think sports have become more important than ever at the same time that maybe maybe some districts, schools, states even are starting to kind of devalue it a little bit. And then I think on the flip side of that, it's it's also as a head coach, it's really hard to find like good assistant coaches. I think part of it is just the natural piece of like if someone has a like a quote unquote real job, like it's a really hard commitment to like, how can I be done at three o'clock every day to come to baseball practice? Right. So I think finding good assistant coaches is one of the more difficult, but also really important and impactful pieces. You did this for a long time, not only at the at the college level, but then also at the high school level. What were your I don't know, what was your strategy for finding people and keeping people around and getting good assistant coaches? And that's that's a great question. Um, and it's one that I've actually thought a good deal about. My last stop, Hartfield, we had a lot of guys that helped our program. We had two guys, including myself, who were, were paid. Um, they had obviously other responsibilities on campus. But I was at a place where I think, first of all, you know, I tried to find places where there were resources. Um, I saw a thread that was going around Twitter the other day and people were appalled at how little these coaches were making and um, mm. like, like, and people were like surprised about it. I'm, I'm surprised yeah, right. they were surprised because this is not something that's new, but I, I first of all tried to find places where there were resources available where I knew they could pay guys. Um, I, I didn't really want to take a job where that wasn't the case, but there were times when I w- was in a position where I couldn't pay guys as much. And my, I think about my first stop at Free Hardeman, I had two graduate assistants, Luther Bramlett, who's now at Midway, he's one of my best friends, and Mike Johnson, who's the athletic director at Marshall County in Kentucky and, and one of my oldest and dearest friends. And I was crazy back then, Max. We would work like 18-hour day. I mean, it was stupid, the things we were doing, you know, and I, I almost – the fact that those guys still speak to me to this day um, <laughs> is remarkable because of the way we work. But what what those guys had then is they had their graduate school paid for. I think I got them a, um, <laughs> a meal plan in the cafeteria and maybe a little bit of a stipend for mowing the field and taking care of the softball field or whatever. But – you know, I was always resourceful and tried to tried to take as good a care of our guys as we could, even when I didn't have the resources. And um, if I made a little less off of camp, then that was okay to try to take care of those guys a little bit more. But I, I think the first thing is 
trying to think outside the box with resources to to give those guys the the finances they need to make it. Be very honest with them up front and let them know that this is more about you getting experience and, and, and getting into it, especially with young guys. And then when you can take care of those guys, take care of them. I, I think that's a big thing. But I think on top of that is I think coaches have a commitment to coach your coaches. So mm-hmm. one of the things that I did a poor job of early in my coaching career is I didn't expose my assistant coaches to everything like I should have. So uh, Justin Smith is now the head coach at Hartfield. He's doing an amazing job. One of the best guys I've ever worked with. But one of the things that I tried to do with him is I tried to bring him into all the things that a head coach would have to do. I tried to mm-hmm. make him privy to to different meetings and conversations and ask him to sit in on some of those just to, to see how um, a head coach thinks and how the process works. I'm always amazed, too, when I go to the ABCA convention, um, the lack of assistant coaches that – don't go to the association meeting. Um, I, that always blows my mind because that's an opportunity for me to sit in a room and watch how head coaches um, behave and respond and how they carry themselves. And, and, and it's an opportunity to study those guys. So I think anytime as a head coach, we can expose our assistants to the things that help them become a head coach. And I think the greatest thing you can do is have guys that go on to be head coaches um, by preparing them. So, you know, the resources are one thing, but I think past that, finding opportunities to take care of those guys in any way that you can and then um, helping them learn to be a head coach to give them the information that they need to to grow into a head coach. So when they do have the opportunity, um, not only – are they going to get the interview, but they're going to be prepared for the job after they get the job, I think is, is so critical. Tell me about uh, Team USA a little bit, because you I know you, you, you've you been involved with Team USA before, uh, and people listening are probably like, what the heck, this high school coach that he's at Texas A&M, he was with Team USA. Um, How did that experience come along, and what was it like for you? It's funny, Max, I found, I was cleaning some stuff out the other day of Everything I have is pretty much digital now. So I was going through a filing cabinet. I've got one little filing cabinet left. It's probably got 30 different folders in it. And I found this sheet of paper that had, I think all of us have this, but it was the first letter I wrote to our team at Freed Hardeman. It was some really nice notes that people have written me over the years. It's kind of in one of those little transparent sleeves. And I found, um, matter of fact, Jay Slavolette was in my office the other day, a kid who was a freshman All-American force, and I showed it to him, and we got a kick out of it because it was my list of goals that I had made. Um, when I was in college, man, it was probably hmm. 1990. Um, I had just gotten married. I was I was married after my junior year, and I had short-term, mid-term, and long-term goals. And um, I pretty much checked every box off, but one of them on there was the, it said – to coach internationally with USA baseball. Hmm. And that dream took me 28 years to realize I never, I I reached out, I tried to try to get, get in and never really made any headway. And um, really it was because of a couple of guys, Butch, as we talked about earlier, Adam Mosley, a couple of guys that kind of went to bat for me and, they were involved with USA baseball. Butch is kind of the godfather of USA baseball. And um, he has a lot of people's ear in that organization. And um, I got an invitation to go uh, work um, what they call NTIS, uh, just a, just a task force guy, scout. And Mm -hmm. 
uh, go out and try to identify players um, at the different events to that will eventually be a part of the USA team. And man, I'll tell you, it's uh, I never I I, I I dream to be able to do what Brian Madsen, Troy Gerlach, and Eric mm-hmm. Casada just did and go coach a team and. They, they just won a gold medal with the 12U team. I mean, that's a dream of mine that I still have. Hope I would love to be able to do that one day. But just to be able to put that T-shirt on as a task force member in Phoenix or Cary and to go out and represent the country, man, it it's uh, it's it hits different. And, and it's something that I'm extremely grateful for. If I never get to do anything else with USA Baseball, um, this has been a, a good experience for me. And I also get to meet some amazing people. I mean, I've just met some of the best guys I've ever met in baseball um, through the USA. So uh, hopefully I can continue to be involved and um, we can continue to put teams out there that can represent our country well. It's, it's funny, Brian Madsen, I had him on the podcast a while back and we I, we were talking a little bit about uh, USA Baseball and he was like, yeah, basically, I don't know anything about coaching or or whatever, but I just, they they let me come out to something and I just decided I'd be the most energetic, most like I'd, I'd do everything, I'd be there all the time and they just, he's like, they'd basically just be so annoyed by me that they'd be like, fine, fine, you can coach and it worked <laughs> out. Well, first of all, Brian knows a ton of baseball. Oh, I know. <laughs> but his energy level is off the charts. His story is amazing. Um, he's a veteran, uh, served our country, so he understands. Uh, he does one of the best. I had him, uh, I zoomed him in for our team in high school, and he does a mm-hmm. thing called the walk, which um, is one of the most powerful things I've ever heard. And it's talking about when a, when a soldier gets deployed, um, you know, walking to the walking away from the house to get in the car to leave or walking to the helicopter. And, um, and then you don't always walk back with, with your, with your comrades. And it's a, it's a pretty powerful thing to hear, but he's one of the most respected guys in my life. And so um, to hear him talk is always a joy, but that dude is a baseball guy and he's, he's obviously a high energy guy, but he brings a lot more table than just baseball too. And the success that, that he's had and winning a gold medal. He and Troy and Eric, like I said, just three days ago, um, mm-hmm. they, they won a gold medal in, in Taiwan. So, yeah, man, just just to be a part of – a little part of that, I'm just a very small part of it, certainly not that like those guys, but um, it, it, it means the world to me. We are, we're pretty excited right now. We had um, in our program a, a freshman catcher last year who – came in and caught all but like eight innings of our season. That's because we had a double header and we didn't want to let him catch both sides of it, but um, called all the pitches. He was fantastic. He's committed to Oregon state. And he just uh, yesterday made the final roster for the 15 U team uh, for team USA. And so we're, we're very excited. He gets to go to the Dominican Republic and we all will live vicariously through him for a little bit while he goes through that process. For sure. Uh, That's man. Congratulations. That's awesome. It's cool stuff. So, um, you know, you've you've been around for a while in a lot of different programs. And like I said, one of the one of the things I stole from you that I use um, all the time now, and I think it's really helped our program and our parents and people staying connected. And uh, it's it's just the really simple game day information sheet that you put out. It literally like no offense. It takes like no effort. It's the easiest thing in the world to do once you make the first one. And 
I, we we put it out every for every game, and you know, it, you list the you can do whatever you want on it. And so, kind of what we ended up doing is we'll put you know the the game preview of who we're playing, the records of both teams, that sort of thing. We got the roster on there for us, and you know what the players are, their numbers, who's committed where, or if they're uncommitted, and got our schedule on there. And it's it's I think it's been a really cool thing for everybody to get to see every single day that we have a game because it's like all the information you'd want. It almost feels like uh, like you're going to a college game because they've got the little game day handout, and it just makes the game feel makes the game feel important. Well, thank that I, I, you know, great artists, a good artist copy, great artist steal. <laughs> That's what I've always. <laughs> That's right. I learned that off from somebody else, I'm sure, but. You know, I, the thing that two things that I think about when you talk about that, I'll never forget one time I had a really good friend. Randy Spring was uh, one, of, one of my buddies, one of my closest friends. He's a he's a head coach at Brookhaven Academy now. But I remember him telling me one time we were we were he was he was a part of an organization that was playing against us. And he talked about how people always they would make fun of us for um, doing things like that. And. I was so confused, you know, I remember, I, and he's like, well, you're, you know, you're, it's a high school program and people are, and he wasn't making fun of me. He thought it was silly, but you know, I've always tried to run any program I'm at the very best I can. So I would copy what college teams did and I would, I would try to just figure out a, you know, a cheaper way to do it. One of my favorite things is how do you run an SEC program on a Walmart budget? To me, that's some of the most fun things in the world is trying to take these ideas that, the big time programs do and make them yours. I mean, how do you do it with the resources that you have? Again, that was the first thing I said. Hopefully we can give people something that they can do wherever they are, you know? So that was one of the ideas of that. It was something that I got, I saw college people do. And so I got around on Excel and played around. I think it was actually pages and played around with it and kind of taught myself how to do it. And you know, the other thing that people I got, I got some buddies, they always make fun of me because I have a chart or an Excel sheet or a spreadsheet for literally everything that we do. And the simple explanation for that, it was born out of necessity. Um, when I first started coaching, Max, I didn't have any help. Um, we didn't have any assistant coaches my first year of college. Like I said, I had two GAs. I literally had a senior outfielder running our outfield drills <laughs> because I didn't have another coach. Right. And we didn't have any managers. So I had to make these things franchisable, so to speak. So, Hey, Hey Max here, you run the outfield drills today during team, during a positional defense. So here's the series, you know, here's the maroon series. Here's the gold series. All right, we're going to do one through seven today. You got four minutes of drill, go run the drill. And so that has kind of followed me because as a young coach, I, I had to, I had to do everything myself. And so I had to create this very meticulous detailed system or things wouldn't get done. And as I grew older and I had more help and I got at better programs and I had better resources, those things just kind of followed me because they had always been a part of, of, of who I am. So, you know, that wasn't something that was for show it was born out of necessity and it's just kind of followed me for 30 years of my career so that's an example of it and um I, th I think there's a lot of things you can do to to make your program look big time and uh, it's, most of them are pretty easy and they don't really cost a lot quite frankly i think one of the the kind of the 
big parts in there that I, I think is so important for people to get is something that's really hard as a coach. It's, it's coaching alone or close to alone, possibly. And I think I, I think back to when I was first a coach, I was a JV head coach for a couple of years. And I was alone, I think, the first year. And then I had an assistant the second year, or maybe I have the reverse. But in any case, um, and when, when you coach alone, my gosh, you have to figure it out. And you, I think, like you're mentioning, you know, giving an outfielder the job of being the outfield coach, essentially, on a given practice day. But I think that's the reality of it. And I think you become really, really talented at finding ways to make stuff happen and you become a really good coach in terms of understanding how to coach every position you figure out how to uh, manage a game you figure all of it out because like you said it's born out of necessity you literally there's no one else that's going to do it for you it all comes on your shoulders it's not necessarily fun I don't I don't I do everything I can to make sure that like our lower level coaches have an assistant coach, but it doesn't always happen that way. And so I think coaching alone, while it's it's rough and difficult and challenging and and all those things, but I think ultimately it makes you such a better coach. So if you can if you if you end up getting the raw end of the deal and you end up alone one year, you're gonna grow more as a coach in that one year than you're probably gonna grow most of the rest of your career. There's no question. And, you know, I, Max Weiner, our new pitching coach, who's, who's so phenomenal. I, mm-hmm. I can't wait to, to be around him more. But we've spent a little bit of time together. And I, I made that comment to him the other day. I said, uh, hey, man, if you if you really want to be a great coach, coach eighth graders. <laughs> yeah. Coach eighth right. grader, you know, and, and uh, my friend Stan Lukacic was telling me that um, if you want to be a great coach, go coach in Europe because he, I think he told me he did 20, 20 seasons maybe where he would go to Europe and coach and he didn't speak the language. So think about that, thinking about having to coach someone when you don't have a great uh, grasp of their language. Um, you know, he said, that's how you become a good coach. And I said, man, that's unbelievable. But you know, so, so, so much of the, who we are is we're, we're just products of, of where we've been and who we are. And sometimes that's a good thing. And sometimes we, we need to grow a little bit, but you know, one of the things that I reach out with, that, that I always share with coaches when you're trying to put a staff together, people ask me that question a lot. How do you put a staff together? Well, I think you obviously take the resources you have. And if you have some guys that you can pay, you try to obviously hire the best people that you can that are available. And a lot of times in high school, it, it there's an English, it's got to be an English teacher or a history professor or whatever. There's so many different things that are tied to it, which makes it really difficult. But I think the other thing, when you start thinking outside of the box, here's some things that I've always shared with people. First of all, try to find some older baseball people in your area. Maybe, maybe someone who's retired. Uh, I've had, I've had this twice and you, you give them a very small amount of responsibility. Hey, we're going to start practice at three. You need to be here at two forty-five. You're going to work with just our pitchers. Um, man, some of the best coaches I've had have been guys like that. Guys that just still have something left in the tank, still want to be around kids. Um, and I think almost every community has that person. The other thing that I think about is fine kids are in college. There's a lot mm-hmm. of kids out there who want to go into coaching. Uh, maybe they're not. Maybe they weren't good enough to play collegiately, but they want that experience. Um, find those guys. Make them a part of your program. Give them something real to do. Coach, coach them on how to be a great coach. And then Max, I think the other thing that we overlook so many times, especially in this day and age, is our students. 
Um, you have people sitting in your school that could do a phenomenal job uh, of helping you create a better program. And at the same time, they can get real life practical experience. And here's a great illustration of that. If I were to go back into high school coaching, and I think if I'm ever a head coach again in college, one of the first things that I want to do is I want to find someone that create can, can create content. And honestly, there's nobody better in your school than the students. They're, they're, they're masters. They can take a cell phone and do some of the coolest stuff that you've ever seen. And so how do you work to find those kids? And then maybe you go to your um, video person or your IT person or your journalist uh, teacher on campus and you create a program for those kids where they have some oversight. They obviously have to have some parameters. You can't just turn them loose with the Instagram account, but <laughs> how do you create some of those cool partnerships that allow you to do some of the things you want to do in, inside of your program, make it something that can help the kid build a portfolio or a resume and turn it into a class. I, I think we need to think outside of the box more. I think there's a lot of opportunities in, in today's world because I'm seeing more apprenticeships and practicums and real life um, experience type classes, a lot more so than I was 15 years ago. So I think that's an untapped resource in our high schools is to be able to use our students to, to help more. Now you, you have to make it worth their while. You have to create programs to where they can get credit or you're partnering with a college. Hey, you, you come here and you be a manager for me for three years. Um, we're going to get you a managerial spot at, at Texas A&M or, Hey man, if you put together a portfolio of videos, you know, I know the guy at Texas A&M, I can, I can give you a call. And um, it's almost like creating a, a, a tunnel or a path for them uh, to, to get to the next level. A lot of kids want to get into pro baseball. A lot of, you probably have people in your community that want to go into the front office in the NFL, um, help, help those kids, help identify those kids and give them some real life experience. And at the same time, man, they're, they're doing real life work for you. That doesn't really cost you anything. So I, I just really encourage coaches to do more of that. I think those opportunities are out there. If you're a little more intentional about it and work a little bit harder to find those. Do you know who uh, Michael Barta is in, in Johnston, uh, Johnston High School no, in I, Iowa? I don't know that name. It okay. sounds like somebody I need to know, huh? <laughs> you do. So Michael Barta, uh, I had him on really early in the, like four years ago. He was one of my first guests I had on. I can't remember how I figured out who he was. But uh, Johnston High School in Iowa, big school. They've won like every – pretty much they win every the state title every year. Like they're that good. If they don't win the state title, it's it's an upset every year. And uh, what he created was a student manager program. So he, University of Iowa, for a long time has had a really well-run um, manager program for their baseball team. And so he kind of modeled that and created one for his high school program. And every year they have like seven to ten kids, and they they do everything. Like they set things up. They do like you're talking. They do the social media. Then they started getting really deep in like analytics. So they'd run like TrackMan or Rapsodo, and then he'd yeah. give them responsibilities of like, hey, your job is you're going to take all the Rapsodo data for the pitchers, and your job is to find us stuff. Find me yeah. some things that we we can use then to 
give to our pitching coach to then and then from there it's like okay now you've you've like graduated from that now you're allowed to actually talk to the pitchers and you can start giving them ideas and it was really cool and so I ended up getting uh, at the time his three like main managers uh, Savannah Lexi and Chloe I'm pretty sure their names and I was they came on for an episode so we did like a round table and had all three of them on and we talked through it again this was like three or four years ago on this podcast it was incredible um, the things that they were doing but it all started with just like the really simple like hey I want, you know I want someone to run like the like you're saying I want yeah. someone to take some video and it yeah. just kind of grew and snowballed and became this big thing and yeah it's all free labor but the you see the back end of it. Like uh, I know one of them is working like the Northwoods league during the summer. Another one is ended up at the university of Iowa in their baseball managers program. Like it becomes this resume piece that you can then use. And so all of a sudden it's like, this kid has this idea of, I I'm not a baseball player, but I want to get into this and being a front office someday or whatever, here's my path. And it starts here as a student manager in high school. And it's the coolest thing. Well, and I think we, I just think we underestimate kids, man. I mean, I'm, you know, my daughter's 11 years old and the stuff that she can do, the pictures she takes, I mean, it's amazing. And so I just think we need to, and you mentioned something else, females in baseball. I, yeah. I think that's another opportunity now that a, a lot of young ladies are wanting to get into, to get into the front office, get into different types of uh, professional baseball. And so, and I think it's good to have females around your program because, you know, one of the things that I love about Coach Schlossnagel, we we talk about this from time to time. We're all girl dads. All of the coaches here um, that have ch- children, we have girl dads. And so he's very animate about how our players are going to treat women. And so having women around, having females in your program um, lets us model the behavior that we want to display towards females to our players. And along with having our families around, Coach is awesome about – letting our families have access to the program. So I think that's good too. When you can have young ladies that are part of your program, it shows your guys how to treat women. And I think that's an important lesson too. So I've tried to be intentional about that, but just, you know, really it's just more about Max thinking outside of the box and Mm -hmm. and, and trying to figure out what you want to do. It goes back to what I was talking about, making the big time where you are, make your program, regardless of whether you're a high school coach or junior high coach People were going to probably criticize it. Why aren't you doing that? You're just a high school. Well, I want to make it the best I can be. So I want to have great content. I want to, and well, I can't have all this because I don't have the money to afford it. Okay. Well then how am I going to go about doing it and thinking outside the box and trying to create ways that you can have the things that you want to have without having all the resources you need to have them. To me, that's fun too. Um, and it also gets more people involved in your program because when you have three kids who are managers, then you've got probably six parents that are that are now all of a sudden paying attention to your program and maybe some siblings and their friends. You may have just brought 10 more people yeah. uh, into the, the interest circle of your program. And, and that's that's how you build programs. I hate to bring it back to Butch again. I feel like we talk about him too much. It's still almost unfair. But he uh, is the same kind of thing. He talked about making uh, making your high school program the big leagues because, like, realistically, none of those guys are going to play in the big leagues. So let's make this the big leagues right now. And whatever that is that we can afford and whatever we can create and come up with and be creative about, but let's make this the big leagues because this, for most of these guys, is the closest they're ever going to get to it. And I, when he told me that, I was, oh, gosh, that makes so much sense. It kind of changed the way 
that I, I kind of approached our program with that mindset of every year make this feel like the as close as I can make it feel like the big leagues for those kids. And I think it's it's awesome stuff. Um, well, yeah. You, first of all, you can never talk about Butch too much. <laughs> I, know, I feel like every podcast ends up back to Butch. No, well, he's the master. But there was a book. <laughs> there was a book written years ago, and it was it was a football coach. His first name was Frosty. It was either. Hmm. Frosty Westerberg or Whitebird. I can't remember, but the name of the book was entitled Make the Big Time Where You Are. Hmm. And it, it I can save you from reading the book. Basically, the, the overall concept was wherever you are, make that the big time. And you're right. And, when, and Butch is right. Like the, the, you want to make this the best experience that you can for your players because a lot of times, most of them, this is the last time they're ever going to play. And I just want to do everything I can to. You know, I ran our when I was at when I was at Hartfield, I ran the program like I was Jim Slosnagel at Texas A and M. I mean, it was my it was my Texas A and M. You know, and so um, I think we I think our, our our communities and our players and our school deserve that. I feel like that's probably a good place to kind of leave this thing, um, Chuck. Uh, like I said, appreciate you doing this. Appreciate you. Uh, not, not to pump you too much full, but to, to, you know, big time college coach to come down and, and, and be so willing to share with, with high school coaches. Like we talked about the start of, you know, on Twitter and elsewhere and on a podcast and stuff like that. Just, um, you, you've really helped make the coaching community better. And, um, I talked to Jonathan Gellner and, and about this too, but there's just this, there's, we have this feeling of like, hey, I'm helping coaches out. And it's like, yeah, you're helping coaches, but what you're really doing by doing all this is ultimately you're just you're like forever affecting the game of baseball for kids. So you know you're you, to, you know you make a coach better today. Okay, well then that coach is better for the players that he has. All right, two or three of those players end up becoming coaches later. Well now they're better as a result of what their coach taught them, and then they te- you know it just keeps going and going. Yeah. So I, I just appreciate you and what you do for the baseball community, especially the high school world, and then what that ultimately ends up doing to benefit kids. So I, I just thank you, know, you so I, much I, for I that. I appreciate that. I don't. I don't. I, I appreciate the compliment. I don't think I'm a big time coach. I'm just a coach, and uh, you know, there's I'm no different than everybody that's listening. And you know, one of the things I would like to ask is I, I'm I'm running out of. Uh, I guess I could recycle some of what I tried to do last year was kind of think about, okay, if I was a high school coach right now, what would I be doing and kind of have the content to match that. But I would love to hear from your listeners or anybody, you, or what are some more things that I can do to, to try to help, um, help coaches. And, you know, one of the things that coach Schlossnagel is great about anybody is, is always welcome to, to come watch us uh, mm-hmm. practice or, uh, do skill work or whatever. So that invitation is always there and obviously you can learn, but I would like to know what, how else I can help. And so if you guys have any ideas, you know, shoot, shoot them to me on Twitter and anything I can share to help uh, grow, not just baseball coaches, but coaches in general. Uh, I would love to love to hear that and love to do what I can to help. Sounds good, man. Thanks, Jack. Appreciate you, Ted. My pleasure. Just a phenomenal human being who, no surprise, is a high-quality baseball coach, too. His better half, Amanda Box, joins us in episode 91 to dive into all things communication. If you aren't signed up for the newsletter or if you haven't picked up some High School Coaches Club stickers, you should definitely do so. Head on over to highschoolcoachesclub.com to get started. Don't forget to leave a rating or a review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. And no matter where you're listening, hit that subscribe button. 
Most importantly, though, if you found any value at all from this episode or any previous episode, share it on social media via email or through the old fashioned word of mouth. It doesn't matter how you do it. Just find a way to bring in a few more listeners who might benefit. That's how we all get better. And that's how we grow the club. Huge fist bump to Coach Box for jumping on the call with me. Thanks again to Netting Pros for sponsoring the episode and to you for clicking the play button. If you have any recommendations for people who should be guests on the show, be sure to reach out to me, even if that recommendation is you. Follow the club on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at HS Coaches Club. You can follow me on Twitter at Mr. Max Price and can reach me via email, max at highschoolcoachesclub.com. All right, that's it. That's all I got. You're awesome. You matter. Thanks for all you do. And as Coach Lee would say, Loving you.